So, Father, we thank you that we have this wonderful opportunity today just to love you, to receive encouragement from you. Holy Spirit, we invite you right now just to teach us, to challenge us, to convict us, to open our hearts to your word. And we give you permission right now, Holy Spirit, to teach us, to deal with us. Because we want our lifestyle, we want our lives, our hearts to line up with your word. And so, Father, we are those people that have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And we are posturing ourselves to not only hear, but to do and to be. And so we thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for another opportunity to be challenged and encouraged by you, Father, and We don't take that for granted. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. Amen. I'm going to be reading out of 1 Samuel chapter 30, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And this message is for leaders who love well, or leaders who want to love well. How many of you guys are leaders? Raise your hands. How many of you guys are leaders? Would you raise your hands, please? Okay, some of you know where I'm going with this, right? Okay, let's, let's start over. How many of you are born again? How many of you are followers of Jesus? Remember, Jesus said, follow me. And I will make you. It's going to make us into something, right? It's going to make us fishers of men. The Bible also says that when we've been born again, we're new creatures, creation. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. So if you're born again, you have the ministry of reconciliation. Which that means you appealing to people to be reconciled to God. So if you're born again, you have been immediately called into the ministry. You are a minister of the gospel, right? You with me so far? And Jesus said, if we're following him, he's going to make us into fishers of men. Now, obviously, we know he's talking metaphorically, but fishing men is going to be bringing, drawing men, catching men, drawing them to the Father, right? means that you have influence over people for the kingdom, for the sake of the kingdom, which means you would be a leader, people following you, right? Are you with me still? Okay, so how many of you are leaders? All right, I'm seeing more hands. All right, so this message is for you. This is a message for leaders, loving well. Loving well. Leaders who love well. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 19, reading out of the New King James Version. It says, now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and, south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. In one translation, it says it carried them away. It says they carried them away to be slaves, to become slaves. So they had an intention for these people that they didn't kill, but they took with them. Women and and children. 
Verse 3, so David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahimnam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Verse 7, then David said to Abiathar, the priest, Amalek's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I pursue the enemy? Shall I overtake them? And he, the Lord, answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. Verse 9. So David went, he and his 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and 400 men, for 200 stayed behind, who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Besor. Then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate. And they let him drink water, and they gave him a piece of cake, of figs, and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite, and my master left me here behind because, because three days ago I fell sick. He made an, we made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites in the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, can you take me down to this troop? So he said, swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master. And I will take you down to this troop. And when he had brought him down, there they were spread all over the land eating and drinking and dancing because of the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode off on, camel, rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. And nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, Spoil or anything which they had taken from them, David recovered all. Now, I love this story. It's one of my favorites in the Bible because it's so real. You know, David and his men returned home from fighting, and they were away from home. We don't know how long. Um, well, I don't know how long they were gone. Maybe it, it spells it out in the scriptures, but they were gone from their families for some time. And brothers, you can imagine being home, being away from your family. Maybe you've been on a road trip, a business trip for a month or two or several days, or maybe you've been deployed in the military and you're off in, the, in Afghanistan or somewhere overseas for a year. And then you come home excited to see your family, your kids, your wives, well, us, wife.
Could have been bad. But you, you come home excited to see your family. And like David, they, the men, they all come home to find not only was their town, their houses burnt to the ground, but their families were kidnapped, were gone. Imagine how they must have felt. And it said they cried. Now, these were, these were no wimps. These were mighty men. A number of these guys ended up becoming David's mighty men, very famous, powerful warriors. They were amongst this group of people. So these were strong, what we would consider manly men. And it says they were so distraught, they cried until they could not cry anymore. You ever been in that situation where you're in, a, you're in such despair that all you can do is cry, and then you don't have any more strength in you to cry anymore? That's how these guys were feeling, and this is what they were going through. And, it, it showed, and David was among them who were crying. So it wasn't like he was just standing there feeling sorry for his, his brothers. He was crying, too, because his wives were taken captive. But then it says David was greatly distressed because not only were the men upset and crying and discouraged and distraught, but then all of a sudden they begin to turn, allow their, their grief to turn to anger and rage, and they begin to point it at David. They had to blame somebody. And so not only was David distraught because of his family missing, but all of his brothers that who he had went to battle with were talking about killing him. So his problems became elevated. His problems became more. And sometimes as leaders, we find ourselves in situations that we go through things just like everybody else, but then all of a sudden we find ourselves in a different situation because of our position of being a leader. And sometimes people don't understand you. They don't understand what you're going through. It can be a very lonely place sometimes because you might be in a situation that others don't understand. And that was David's plight. He was the leader. He was the king of all these people, the ones there and the ones who were taken captive. And all the people were looking to him, and then they wanted to blame him, and they wanted to kill him. What do you do when you find yourself in that situation when you are distraught, and it seems like everybody's turned against you? It says David. I like how it says it says, but David. Remember, he was distraught. It says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. And I'm sure that looked like something. I don't think David just began to think happy thoughts. My family is really here. My family is really here. They're not gone. They're not gone. They're really, you know, he didn't start doing some mental gymnastics and and quoting, just saying positive things, but he did something. It says he strengthened himself in the Lord. And I bet you that that looked like worship. I bet you. Because we know David's, his um, reputation not only, is not only as a warrior, but also as a worshiper, right? I mean, he wrote many of the Psalms. He was hired by Saul to play worship in front of him because he was tormented by a, demon, a demonic spirit. So we know David was a passionate worshiper of God. And I'm willing to bet that in this situation, when it says he strengthened himself in the Lord, 
that that looked something like he went and got off by himself and began to worship his king. He began to worship God. And we'll talk about that more later. But it says David strengthened himself. One translation says he encouraged himself. You know, a lot of times when a person is discouraged, that means without courage. So when he encouraged himself, courage was put back in him. He was encouraged, encouraged, filled with courage again. And then it says he sought the Lord for wisdom and direction. He said, bring me the ephod. That was the way they they sought the Lord back in that day. I don't understand how it works, but that's how he sought the Lord. And he said, shall I go after them? And shall I overtake him, them? And the Lord said, yes, you shall go after them, and you will overtake them and recover, recover all. And the reason why I love this story is because it is so real, and I believe everyone can relate to it at some point. You know, it's not one of those stories where it was a situation that was pretty bad. I mean, it was really bad. I mean, if you can imagine, I mean, kind of one of the worst things that could happen is your family being kidnapped and taken to be, becoming slaves. And I'm sure, we, I'm sure we know that it wasn't just physical labor type of slavery, if you know what I mean. I mean, the, the, the sex trafficking and all that kind of stuff didn't just start in the 2000s or in the modern age. So if you imagine what these men were thinking was happening to their families, their wives and their kids, we're talking real life problems. And that's what I appreciate about the Lord is his word. He's real. His word is real. He presents hard situations and he presents solutions. What can we take away from David's example? And I'll talk about a few things that we can take away from this situation. First thing is, David had something that allowed him to make a specific choice to go in the opposite direction of where his emotions and feelings were trying to drag him. David had something that allowed him not to be drugged down that path of despair. See, his men were on that path, and they were full of despair. But David had something that gave him the ability to choose not to allow that to be his path. And that was a developing relationship with the Father. He had a real, live relationship with the Father. You know, in in our country, in America, a lot of people go to church. A lot of people believe in God. But their relationship is more of a religious philosophy than it is a relationship. And what I mean by that is, you know, we learn to do church. We learn to do the right thing. We learn to go through the motions. But then when real life happens, when real tragedy hits... When that business deal 
that you made go south and you've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars maybe, then what happens to that, rela- what happens to that religion? What good does that do you then? And see, a lot of people in our country, unfortunately, I appreciate the freedom that we have, and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And I appreciate the men and women that fight, have fought, and continue to fight for our freedom that we have here in America. Unfortunately, what we tend to do with that freedom is we just live free, and we can, we can find ourselves in a very lax place. It, what I mean by, in some countries, to be named amongst Christians is a death sentence. To claim belief in God or to be a Christian could mean not only you being tortured or killed, but your family and even generations behind you being killed. So when people in certain countries say yes to Jesus, they're potentially saying yes to death. But in our country... Because, fortunately, we're not in that situation. We can say yes to Jesus on Sunday and say no to him on Monday through Saturday. Then we can say yes to him again on Sunday because it's time to do that church thing again. And so what happens, we, we learn to embrace a form of godliness, but there's no power. We go through the motions, we sing our songs, we do the dance, we do our stuff, and then life hits us right in the face. And we look and act just like the world because we have nothing more than they have. And that's why David's situation is so impressive to me because he was experiencing the worst thing he probably could, and yet he had a response that was totally different from all the other men that were with him. He had a developing relationship with the Father. He had a real, live relationship and not just a religious philosophy. Many Americans or many people in the, in the free world, we live our own lives, we do our own thing until we find ourselves in a bad situation. You know people like that? Living carefree, doing their own thing, living any way they want to, and all of a sudden, tragedy hits them. And then we go after Then we need God. Now, God doesn't mind us going to him anytime. But unfortunately, it's going to him for him to fix our situation. Then when it's fixed, we go back to what we were doing. You know, imagine husbands or wives if your spouse treated you that way. You were out messing around with other ladies. And all of a sudden, you needed something from your wife. Then you got what you wanted, and then you went back to doing what you were doing. That's not a pretty picture, but unfortunately, that's how a lot of people treat their relationship with the Father. You know, in James, he talks about, he says, you you adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred or hostility towards God? I remember receiving an email a couple or a few years ago, and I don't remember who it came from. I don't even know how I got it. But the email was 
from a lady whose brother was a missionary, and he was somewhere in the Middle East. I think it might have been Iraq. Somewhere in the Middle East. And he was calling out for prayer because ISIS, they were in danger of ISIS. And what they were doing is they were going to the villages and they were targeting and killing the Christian children. They weren't messing with the parents. They were going after the kids. And what they would do is they'd tell the kids, they'd give them the opportunity to, not, to deny Jesus and live. And interesting enough, none of the children would deny Jesus. And they were all killed. And when I think of that story, it, it, it doesn't break my heart other than, I mean, it breaks my heart for the fact those children dying, but it, it challenges me. Because to those children, that sword or that gun or whatever they were being about to be killed with, their relationship with Jesus was just as real. When they were staring down the, the barrel of that gun and they were told to deny Jesus, he was just as real to them as that gun pointing in their face. And all of those children said no. Or they, they did not deny Jesus and they were killed. I want to know Jesus like that. I'm sure many of us have heard stories of, you know, of families being martyred. I don't remember the details, but I remember one particular situation. I don't know if it was common. Maybe it was, and I believe it was in China, where they would, they would put families, Christian families, in pits, and they would give them the opportunity to deny Jesus. And then if they would not, they would bury them alive. And so instead of denying Jesus... They'd begin to lift their hands and they'd begin to sing worship songs or choruses or, or hymns. They'd begin to worship all the way until the dirt covered them up. Jesus was just as real to them as that dirt being thrown on their heads. They would not turn away from him. I want that kind of relationship with Jesus. And I've shared this story many, many times because it's probably the most moving that I've heard when it comes to a man's faith. But somewhere in Mexico, in the Chiapas area, I don't know how long ago this was, several years ago, but a, a man was, he had a large family, and he was, you know, the bad guys um, came and told him to quit preaching and to deny Jesus. And he said, I cannot deny Jesus. And so they would start with the youngest children the youngest child, the baby, and kill the baby and say, deny Jesus. And he said, I cannot deny Jesus. And they ended up killing all of his children and his wife. And they didn't kill him, but they left him there in the midst of all that. And then the man continued to preach the gospel. That does something to me. Not only do I want to know Jesus like that, but I'm excited that I get to. The same type of relationship that David had and then these people have, it's available to us. 
The Father is available to us. Unfortunately, we have so many distractions that vie for our attention. And I thought it was interesting, the song that we were singing, that prophetic song at the end. Now, I can't remember how the words go, but it was something like, I want you more than anything, more than anything, Jesus, more than anything. Let's let that be the heart of our cry, the cry of our heart. How about that? The cry of our heart. That Jesus, I want you more than anything. So David had something real. And Lisa talked about that for the last two weeks, about the type of relationship that the Father is inviting us to, the intimate relationship. This is eternal life, that you may know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, John 17, 3. And that word know is gnosko. Did I say that right? Yeah, I know. But it's knowing him intimately. And the Father's inviting us to that kind of relationship. Number two, there are some things that the Lord has made available to us that gives us a different option to hopelessness and despair. There are some things that the Lord has made available to us that gives us a different option from hopelessness and despair. Number one, he gives us himself. We get him. Your greatest inheritance is the Father. He is our inheritance. We get him. We also get his grace. He doesn't leave us. And when we're, when we're going through hard situations, he doesn't leave us powerless. He makes grace available to you and I. Grace is the power and the ability and desire to do God's will. So when you're going through, when you all of a sudden find yourself smack in the middle of a hardcore tragedy, immediately grace is available. You don't have to wait for it. You don't have to pray for it. You don't have to wait for the UPS guy to bring it to you. It's available instantly. Now it says he resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then the Bible says, do not resist the grace of God. So we have the opportunity to choose grace. And the third thing is we get him, we get his grace, and we get his goodness. His goodness. I believe that when David, when it said David encouraged himself in the Lord, I believe what he did, of course, this is my belief. I can't prove it really, but just looking at the evidence of we see how David did things in the Psalms particularly, I believe that not only was David worshiping when he got off and he just began to worship God, he was reminding himself of the goodness of the Father. He was reminding himself. See, the circumstances he was in was trying to tell him how bad God was. See, if God cared for you, you wouldn't be going through this circumstance. Circumstances were screaming at him. And all the men around him were giving in to that. And they were believing that. And they were distraught and they were despair. And then they were wanting to turn that on David. And I believe David began to remind himself of the goodness of his father. He began to remember how God helped him in the past. He began to remember how faithful God was, how good God was. And I believe that's what encouraged him, what strengthened him. You know, the Bible says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. 
So in his presence is joy, and the joy is my strength, so I get strength by going into his presence. Does that make sense? David received strength, says he strengthened himself, I believe, by getting in God's presence. Number three, sometimes there's no one else who is able to encourage you but him. Sometimes there's no one else to lean on. Is he enough? David found himself in a place when he was distraught because he missed his family and then everybody wanted to kill him. Who was he going to go to to get encouragement? Nobody except the father. Sometimes you may find yourself in a situation where there's nobody around to encourage you or nobody, even if people around, maybe they don't understand so sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where we have to depend on him. Now, it's okay to be encouraged by brothers and sisters. That's okay, but sometimes that option is not available. And David took the only option he had, and it made a difference. Number four, often we are not in a place where we can hear the Lord because our emotions are screaming too loud. How many times have you talked to people who are, who are distraught and they're saying, I'm praying, I'm praying, but I can't hear God. I can't hear God. I can't get wisdom. I don't know what to do. Is it time for something? <laughs> I mean, how many times have you been in a situation to where either you're distraught or a person you know is distraught and it's like, I can't hear God. I don't know what to do. You know, sometimes our emotions are so stirred up that all we can hear is the pain. We cannot hear God even if he started talking to us. And see, the interesting thing that David did is it says he strengthened himself in the Lord. He got in his presence. He, he was encouraged. He was strengthened. He was revived, whatever that looked like. It says, then he sought the Lord. Sometimes we have to get our souls quiet before we can hear from him. We have to get ourselves in a quiet place, get our souls quiet. You know, sometimes when I, if I wait until later in the day to spend time with the Lord, it takes a longer time to get quiet because my soul is all stirred up. Not with negative things, not bad things or, or tragic things, but just life. You know, the things you have to do, the busyness, the, the people you have to meet, the things you need to get done, and all that stuff, and your soul is just stirred up. And so when you're sitting there trying to pray or read the word, all you can think of is what you have to do next. I need to do this. I've got to have that appointment in three minutes or 45 minutes or whatever. And your soul is just, and you have a hard time hearing from God. So sometimes we have to know how to quiet ourselves so we can hear what he's wanting to say. And number five, David strengthening himself in the Lord was something that was very specific and very practical. I remember last Sunday, I was driving around town, making some deliveries, and I was, I found my, I didn't realize it at first, but all of a sudden I realized I was distraught. I was discouraged. Then I realized that, oh, I'm discouraged. You know, sometimes us guys can be discouraged and not realize it. 
you know. And I found myself, and I was like, man, what's going on? And I realized I knew it was discouraging me, stuff going on. It was weighing me down. And I found myself just thinking on that and feeding on that. And I found my soul just, just going down, 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 down. And then I remember the Lord, he said, what have I showed you to do? And I knew what he was talking about, that I had a choice. Did I want to continue to feed on that discouragement? Or did I want to go in a different direction? And see, sometimes that's the battle right there. Because feeding on discouragement can be very satisfying to the soul. That sounds kind of crazy. I mean, you know what I mean? It can feel good to feel bad about yourself or about your circumstances. We kind of want to wallow around in it for a while. And so I had a choice. And I chose to, I turned on, turned off the sports radio, and I turned on worship. I just began to pray in tongues, and I began to sing worship music. And I just began to think about and remind myself how good he was. Now, the circumstances that I was dealing with and am dealing with didn't change. But my mindset did change. And my attitude and my state of being changed. I became encouraged. And I want to encourage you... See, we don't have to wait. It's not just about when we're going through hard, serious, life-ending or life-threatening trials. It's the everyday things. It's like, how do I know that if someone pointed a gun in my face, if I would deny Jesus or not? How do you know if you would past that situation or not. What are you doing with your relationship with them now? If we're walking with him and developing that relationship and he becomes more and more real to us because we see him as real, then all of a sudden that circumstance comes Life-threatening circumstance. It's like, okay, this gun or Jesus. They're both real. If the gun goes off and kills me, I'm just going to be with him sooner. If we're developing that relationship now, then we can know that when the big things happen, we're going to be okay. You know, number six, there are people whose freedom depends on your ability to strengthen, to be strengthened in the Lord. Have you ever thought of that? That there are people's, people whose freedom may depend on your ability to be strengthened in the Lord. 
You know, I was thinking about the situation that David and his men, they pursued and they, you know, the bad guys and they got all their family back. Remember that? What if David had not encouraged himself in the Lord? What if David would not have chosen the path to be strengthened in the Lord, to be encouraged? Because after that, then he sought the Lord. The Lord told him what to do. Then they did what the Lord said, and they achieved victory. What if David had not encouraged himself in the Lord? Now, obviously, we don't know what would happen. But maybe we could speculate that his family, the families, would have stayed captive. I mean, isn't that a logical Assumption. Now, again, we don't know how it would turn out. Sometimes you choosing to go after him, you choosing to allow him to encourage and strengthen you will result in somebody else's salvation. Can result in somebody else's freedom, victory. You know, when I choose to, if I'm dealing with discouragement and I choose to um, allow that discouragement to play out and continue to fe- I feed on that, then what it looks like is then I go home and when I'm with my family and I'm grumpy, I'm in a bad mood, I'm short with my family, my wife, my kids, I don't feel like doing anything with my kids, all I want to sit there is sit there and do is just vegetate on the TV And I create an atmosphere in the house that's very unpleasant. Can anybody relate to that? I mean, I know you have friends that probably. But if I do allow myself to be encouraged in the Lord, then I can go home, create a different atmosphere, Because I'm not bringing that heaviness into the home and putting it on my wife or putting it on my kids. And that's that's what's happened. I've recognized that's what's happened in the past when I just stay gloomy, stay discouraged. I come home in a bad mood and everybody gets to rejoice in the wonderful yuck. And so my family gets the benefit if I strengthen myself in the Lord. And they also get the benefit if I don't. You know, I I started out reminding you guys that you are all leaders, that you are called. You are called to make a difference in people's lives. You are called to set people free. Some of you are called. Some of you are called into the ministry of sex trafficking, setting people who are in sex trafficking, setting them free. I mean, you are called into that type of ministry. Some of you know it. And some of you may not realize that yet. Some of you called into the prison ministry. Some of you are called into the business world. But the goal is the same for all of us. The the end result is setting people free. It's reconciling people to God. 
But if I don't know how to walk in freedom and to strengthen myself in the Lord, when the daily things of life are hitting me, and then the tragedies come and they start buffeting me and and hitting me and knocking me around, then how am I going to get to the people to help them get set free? So yours and my ability or choice to choose to be strengthened in the Lord has an effect on the people that God wants us to reach. Not only did David's choice help the people that got set free, the women and children, but imagine the impact that it had on David's men. Remember, they were distraught because their families were gone. And then they had this leader who said, okay, guys, get up. And I'm sure he had some kind of a talk with them because they were all crying and, and, and distraught. And then next thing you know, they're pursuing the enemy. So he had some kind of a talk with them. And I'm sure it was very inspiring because those guys fought. Small band, 400 men fought Thousands and thousands and thousands of men, and they wiped them out. These guys became inspired because of the choice of one man. People around you are going to become inspired by the choices that you make to choose him. By the choices that you make when you're discouraged and you're just having a bad day and you choose to feed on the goodness of God. And it encourages you then the people that you come in contact with later in that day, you could say something to them that could change the course of their life and inspire them to have a relationship with Jesus because you made a choice. You made a choice not to continue to feel sorry for yourself and wallow in that, but you made a choice to feed on the faithfulness of God. It can be as simple as that. So as a leader, you need to remember that the choices you make affect other people. Whether it's your spouse, whether it's your family, your children, whether it's the people in your, in your work cubicle, or the kids in your classroom, or your business associates, or whoever you are that are in your world, they get to be impacted by your amazing choices. So don't think that you do not have power to influence people. Remember, he has called you to be fishers of men. He has called us to be different. Everybody goes through trials. Everybody goes through trials. Not everybody comes through them triumphantly. Not everybody has the option to call out to the Father and to have him respond. But we do. We have that option. We have, he made himself available to you and me. Not everybody has that option. There are people whose freedom depends on your ability to be strengthened in the Lord. You know, I, those of you who have been around for a while, you've heard this story. Those of you who haven't, you haven't, so you're about to hear it. So we'll all be on the same page because you've all heard the story. But I did something stupid, one thing stupid in my life. <laughs> Only one. And it was actually six years ago this week. 
Well, I found that email. It was 2011, March 16th. Happy anniversary! I realized that last night. But I uh, had a need. My son was driving my car, and he got T-boned. So my car was a T-bone steak. No longer good to drive. And the lady, anyway, she ended up not having insurance. And so we ended up being stuck holding the bag. A lot of details, but just to skip all that, we ended up being without a car and no way to pay for it to get another one. So anyway, I found, so what do you do? You look for another car. So I was looking on the internet, and lo and behold, the beauty of them all. It was a, some kind of a Honda, 2,000-something Honda for $2,700. It was clean. It had low mileage, and it was nice, and it had my name all over it. And every other sucker's name was on it, too. But anyway, I ended up um, making a deal against all the caution and against the, uh, there was red flags telling me, don't do it, don't do it. But when you see need and you see the fulfillment of your need, you don't care what anybody else says or thinks or does. You just go after it. So regardless of what my wife was, she's like, I don't think that sounds right. It's like, oh, honey, you just don't know. You just don't know. Yes, she did know. So I ended up supposedly purchasing this car. And I sent money. Ended up being $3,700. I wired $3,700 to a stranger. I've only done one stupid thing in my life. $3,700 that I borrowed from two of the most important men in my life. My pastor and my dad. So think about this. Not only do you do something stupid, but the two most important men in your life know about it now. (laughs) Like, are you kidding? Well, anyway, needless to say, and I remember uh, we had a men's Bible study. I can't remember what day, maybe Tuesday or Thursday, whatever. And there's a group of us men that were meeting. And for whatever reason, because God's mercy on me, none of the guys could meet except for Han. For whatever reason, the guys were out of town or whatever. So it was just me and Han. And I said, oh, my goodness. He was Han back then. He wasn't Chuck yet. He wasn't Chuck. You weren't Chuck six years ago, were you? That's right. So he was Han back then. <laughs> so anyway, I was at six. I say, man, guess what I got? And da-da-da. I was telling him all this. And he was like, hmm. I'm like, no, serious, dude. And I was telling him and showing him all this kind of stuff. He said, he said brother, that doesn't sound right. I'm like, no, you don't understand. And I was trying to convince him and everything. And I don't remember what he said, but he said something. All of a sudden, it clicked. Wait a minute. And then I went on the computer, and I don't remember what I did, but I did something, and I realized he was right. I had been had. I fell victim to one of those scams. And man, and, and it was... Chuck was like, man, I got to go. He had to go to work. It was time for him to go. And I was so glad. I didn't want to cry in front of him. I was like, dude, you got to go. I got some tears to shed. Remember David and his mighty men, they cried so they couldn't cry. All of a sudden, I realized what had I just done? $3,700 that I borrowed 
was gone. I'm like, oh my goodness. I mean, you know how you know, how you know your emotions are about to, you know, you're over the, the big cliff thing and you're about to just do a swan dive, you know, <laughs> down into the pit of despair. That's what I felt was about to happen. I was about to jump off this cliff and just go down to this despair. But then I stopped and I thought, man. I turned on my worship music and just began to try not to cry. <laughs> and I just began to pray in tongues. because That's all I could do. And I just began to let the music play and I couldn't even sing at that point. And then a, a while into that, the Lord asked me a question. One thing that was interesting was, remember how I said grace is available? I knew I was in trouble. I recognized that I had done something very wrong, very dumb. And I, I was like, oh God, I need help. I cried out to him. And immediately there was this grace. Because when I decided to jump off the diving board to go into that pit of despair, I felt like I was hovering in the air. I felt like grace was holding me. And it's like it kept me from plummeting. And I was just like standing there in midair. And so I just began to pray and listen to the worship music. And then the Lord asked me a question. He said, would you like me to help you? Like, duh. You got $3,700? No, I didn't say that. I said, only done one stupid thing, okay? I'm like, Lord, yes, I need help. And he said, I want you to do something. I want you to write a letter. I want you to write a letter to this this man. His name was either either Jacob or Jonathan. Had two names, probably both of them fake. But he had two names, so I knew him as Jacob. And so the Lord said, I want you to write this letter to him. And so I did. And I found it. After much research, I found it, dated March 16, 2011, at 9.49 a.m. I mean, excuse me, 7.49 a.m. I said, hello, Jacob. Unless you decide to read this, this is probably the last time we will, we will hear from each other. I realize by now that me receiving the car you advertise is a very slim possibility. So I, did, I didn't want to ask you if there's any possible way that you would find it in your heart to return the money that I sent you. I know this sounds crazy to ask, but it's worth a shot. I'm not going to beg and give you some sob story as to why I can't afford to lose that kind of money, although I can't. And I'm not going to cuss you out, but I thought that I would just ask. If you do return the money, that would be a tremendous blessing. I will learn from this experience and move on in life a smarter person. If you do not return the money, then I will still learn from this and move on in life a smarter person. But either way, there is one thing that I would like to say to you. I am praying that God blesses your socks off. I am praying that you come to realize that he loves you so much that he gave his only son, Jesus, to die for you so that you could be forgiven and have an incredible relationship with him. My prayer is that every time you think of me, C.J. Ellison, every dollar of mine that you spend, that you remember just how much he loves you. God has, given, God has been so good to me and changed my life dramatically, and I pray the same for you. I am not being sarcastic or insincere in this letter. I mean it with all of my heart. If God is able to change your life as an indirect result 
of our $3,700 transaction, then it is worth it. You are worth it. I am praying that somehow I can recover the $3,700, but I am praying even more for God to remind you of his love for you. Take care, C.J. Ellis. The moment I pushed send on that email, I was free. I was free. $3,700? Now, I didn't get $3,700 back. But my heart and my soul was not stuck on that $3,700 and that, that poor choice that I made. Now, I never heard back from him. But my hope is that when I'm in heaven someday, I get a tap on my shoulder. And the guy, I turn around, he says, you don't know me, but my name is Jacob. He says, you remember that 2003 Honda? I like, oh, yeah, I remember that. And then he says, well, I'm here because of that transaction. See, that's my dream. You know, sometimes when we find ourselves in bad situations, now I brought that upon myself. Despite the warnings from wisdom, <laughs> despite all that, I still made that choice and, um, and paid the consequences for it. But in that situation, the reason why I bring that up was because in that situation, I realized that God is more real than $3,700. I realized, man, he's real. I mean, I felt like I got saved again in that moment because his reality in my life was so real, I can't explain it. And I remember uh, a few weeks later, my son who had driven the car and, you know, got smashed into and everything, Bryant, my passionate one, he, um, he was angry. He was like, Dad... You know, because the lady ripped us off and all this kind of stuff. And then found out that this guy ripped me off that I gave the money to, all that kind of stuff. And he was angry. And I said, Bryant, I said, $3,700 isn't worth my soul or my joy or my peace. I said, son, I'm free. I am free. I don't harbor any bitterness towards that guy. And every time I would think of him, I would just pray and bless him. And I'm free. And maybe the choice that I made to bless him has influenced him and people in his life. I don't know that yet. And again, the choices that you make, the choices that you and I make as leaders because we are influential people. And so we get the opportunity to love people well because of our relationship for a loving father who loves us, who cares for us, when we make stupid choices or when things happen to us that are beyond our control, he's still right there to help us. You know, in David's situation, his story ended happily ever after in the sense that they got all the kids back, all the families back, and, and it was good. The stories don't always end that way. But we can still experience his presence and his reality regardless of how it turns out. And that's what he wants. That's what he wants. Would you stand with me, please? He's inviting us to that kind of relationship 
where we do not allow the distractions to keep us from going to him and walking with him every single day. Next week, we'll be more specific and practical. How to move towards him, how to develop the kind of relationship that he's inviting us to. But I just want to, I want you guys to be reminded of how powerful you are, how influential you are, and how loved, how much loved you are by him. And whether you're going through something right now, which I'm, I'm sure many of you are going through some very challenging, a whole lot worse than $3,700. But remember, he's real. And he's inviting you to come close to him. Amen? So let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for your invitation. Thank you for the grace that enables us to say yes. And we say yes to you. And just like we were declaring earlier, Jesus, we trust you. We trust you. I trust you. And I trust you with this. And I thank you, Father, for the influence that we get to have on people who are longing to have a real, authentic relationship with you, but maybe they don't know what it looks like, and we get to show them. Father, I thank you for your grace that's being extended to your sons and daughters right now who are going through challenging, hard situations. I pray for grace and peace over them, comfort, encouragement. And I thank you for the grace that you're extending them to them so they can draw close to you, so they can be comforted by you, and then hear what you would want to say to them. We love you, Father. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, remember, love and respect tonight. 530. And you guys have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And we'll see you next time. God bless you.